Today we want to center on the first verse of this, but we'll read through verse 7 today. Let us hear then God's breathed out word to us this morning. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shown. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Consular, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As far the reading of God's word, let's bow in prayer. Oh Lord, that you have brought us here in this morning hour that we can stand before you and hear your gospel proclaimed in the truth of your word. Father, we pray that you would give Pastor Bob the clarity of mind and the words to speak, and that you would grant our eyes to be open and our ears to hear all that you would have us to hear. And we thank you for your grace and mercy in your son, Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. I want to look at two thoughts this morning. As we think about that phrase in verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, in light of the first verse, which talks about making the way glorious, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. How do these thoughts go together? See, the first thing we have to remind ourselves of in, in the teachings of Scripture and that which it, it gives to us is that this child that Isaiah is saying is going to come, is going to be born, has an existence prior to his birth. At the same time, Isaiah is emphasizing to us that when he comes, he is coming to something, to some place very definite. So first of all then, where the child came from, and secondly, where the child came to. One way of answering the question, where the child came from, is to say he came from eternity. 
He is, you see, this child outside of the bounds of creation. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 10 for a few moments. John chapter 10. Go down to verse 22, John 10, 22. At the time, or at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Now, the feast of dedication is most likely Hanukkah. It's the rededication, the re-cleansing of the temple that took place in the intertestamentary period. Uh, The Greeks had taken over, desecrated the temple. The Maccabees lead a revolt. Uh, They reclaim the temple. The temple is then uh, cleansed and rededicated to the glory of God. Now, we would say, well, that's not a God-ordained feast. That is true. But yet we find Jesus there and we find Jesus involved. Reminding us of the fact that he, just like the Apostle Paul that we looked at last Lord's Day, make use of the opportunities that God gave to him to be the witness of the gospel. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking through the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now listen to his line. I and the Father are one. This is for us a child is born. To us a son is given. This child, this wonderful counselor, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, this mighty El, this mighty God, this Emmanuel, who is given the name Jesus, is one with the Father. If he is one with the Father, then he is outside of the bounds of creation. You and I had no existence prior to our conception. Our only existence is in the mind of God. For before the foundations of the world, He already knew us. But we had no previous existence. we, We did not exist outside of the mind of God, in any way, shape, or form. The child of Isaiah 9-6 does. He has an existence even before creation itself. 
everything else that exists, you and I, everything in this universe, even the angels themselves are created beings. But the son, the child, is not created. He exists beyond the bounds of creation. He exists beyond the bounds of time. This child that is going to be born, this child that is going to come, is a child that has existed from all eternity. But he does not exist as the child in the sense of as a baby. He does not exist in a form of a human nature in the likeness of man. He does not exist in that. He exists as the Father exists. God is spirit. They that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He is without form. See, what, what's being unpackaged for us is, is this mind-boggling mystery. And it's not just a babe in Bethlehem. It's not just a baby that is born. It is the eternal, uncreated God. That is incarnated. No wonder this event ought to cause us to stop. And gasp. And rejoice. And reflect. And celebrate. And tell. See, without this... We may go and tell people about the cross. Oh, Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. Well, who's Jesus? See, without this, the cross is really empty. Some people have the attitude, you know, oh, we ought to get past this and get to the cross and get to the tomb and so on. Yeah, but if you don't know who it is that's on the cross, if you don't know who it is that is raised, if you don't know who it is that's ascended, if you don't know who it is that's coming again, it takes that which God has revealed to us as that which is foundational, as that which is awe-inspiring away. Is it the end of the story? No. But too often today we want to start with the end of the story and not the beginning. Tell people about Jesus dying on the cross. How about telling people of God becoming flesh? You want to give them a reason to look at the cross, to consider the cross, to consider the love of the cross. It's because that's not no man hanging from that cross. 
That is God. That's love. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. When we have to answer the question, where did this child come from if he is given? Well, he came from eternity. But another way of answering that is that he came from glory. Turn with me to John chapter 17. Gospel of John chapter 17. Verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, listen to verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In other words, Jesus is taking us back in this high priestly prayer. He's taking us back to the time before his incarnation, before he comes, before he's the child, before he's the babe of Bethlehem, he comes and explains to us clearly that even before the world existed, I was with you, Father, in glory. You just think for a minute what that means. He was in glory with the Father. The majesty that Christ was in. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Yeah, but he was equal with God. You imagine the majesty of glory even before creation? The eternal presence of God in all of its fullness. This is where Jesus says, I was. I was there in glory. I was there after you created the angels, being glorified in pure, perfect, holy worship. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And this is what Jesus, this is what the Christ heard. This is what prior to that moment, prior to that instant, in which by the power of the Holy Spirit, He is given residence in the womb of Mary. Prior to that moment, prior to that instant, there 
is heaven. There is glory in all of its majesty, in all of the worship of the myriads of angels adoring Him. He comes here. So small. So finite. So limited. Nobody's questioning Him there. You got no religious leaders trying to trick him. You got no false worship where people are following just because they want to be healed. There's no Judas Iscariot. There's no sin. There's no doubt. There's no fear. There's no bewilderment. Just the perfect, pure worship. For to us, a child is given. To us, a son is born. Yeah, but not at that moment. He didn't just come into existence. Remember where Jesus came from. Remember where the Christ was. Secondly, then, where the child came to. Well, here again, we can offer a variety of answers, all of which are biblically true. John 1 tells us he came to his own. John 1 verse 11, he came to his own, and his own did not know him. There again, we're left with, what does John mean by his own? Well, it could mean he came to his own in terms of his race. He came to his own in terms of being a Jew. And the Jews received him not. True statement. But it would also be true to say he came to his own. Sinful nature people. He came to his own. Human beings. And his own Received him not. That too is true. But we can even go another step further. He came to his own, his own meaning, the elect. That's what he was talking about back there in that John 10 passage, wasn't he? Those that the Father had given. There were those that Jesus came for, specifically, purposely for. To save, to redeem, to bring into glory with him. He came to his own, even to the elect. And what about them? They received him not. For without the work of the Holy Spirit's converting, causing us to be born again, we toss this away. We're enemies of God. came to his own, but his own received him not. Think of that. Left glory, the majesty, the 
worship of holy angels became to his own race, Jewish. They want nothing to do with him. Came to his own, those with like flesh who, who ought to pause and just stop and consider. God became flesh and dwelt among us. No, we want none of that. Give us a guy in a red suit and reindeer. We'd rather follow that tradition. He came to his own. His elect. You and I. But even we receive him not until that Holy Spirit causes us to turn in faith. There is another way of answering this question. Not that he came to his own, but we could also say he came to Nazareth. Because you see, that's where he came. Now, what do we know about Nazareth? Well, Nazareth, is kind of, one author, one commentator put it this way. It's a nondescript village in northern Israel. It's held in contempt by the Jewish people because Herod has built a palace about 12 miles from there. So the saying goes, can anything good come from Nazareth? Because that's where Herod lives. How could anything good come out of Herod? It's a town, so we've learned through archaeological discoveries, that housed no more than 400 people at any given time in Jesus' day. Most of which were all family clans. Farming community, rural, but not appreciated. For all the hard work and effort. He came to Nazareth. You see because that's where Mary lived. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 reminds us of this. That the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. Not in Bethlehem. She's not living in Bethlehem. She's living in Nazareth. In this place. In this place of 400 in which most of them are her relatives. Of one sort or another. Not a wealthy community, very poor community. A despised community. This, you see, is where the conception takes place. And we know that because as we read Luke chapter 1, as the angel appears to Mary and tells her, you're going to have a child, Mary then, after a period of time, goes to her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth breaks out into this song when Mary arrives because the child that Elizabeth is carrying, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb, and Elizabeth said, he did so. John leapt in her womb, in her womb because of the presence of the Lord in Mary. So where did this conception take place? took place in Nazareth. Is that important? Yes. 
Because Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, he's coming from Nazareth. He's coming from Galilee. He's coming from that area. This child who is going to be born, this child who's going to be the wonderful counselor, this is where he comes from, in a land, in an area, Naphtali and Zebulun, that have always been sort of on, on the outs, that have been looked down upon, that have sort of been a scourge, that have been the Nazareth of the 12 tribes. It is out of there that the child is going to come. How is this going to be possible? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will cause this to happen. See, Isaiah is giving us the hint. This is where the child is going to be from. Adds a little more interesting light, doesn't it, to the fact of now we have a young, probably less than 15 years old, pregnant girl, and the whole town is basically your relatives. Oh, how that gossip and rumor mill must have been working. It's no wonder Joseph, in chapter 1 of Matthew, is so taken back by this. How can I go ahead and marry this girl? Everybody in town knows the situation. And everybody in town keeps hearing her say, well, the Lord and an angel came to me and told me. Can you imagine the laughter that's going on in this community? Because everybody knows everybody because we're not dealing with a village of 20,000 people where somehow this could be kept anonymous. He left the glory to come to this. See, the world's question is, how does this Jesus who died on the cross, how can he relate to me? He don't know what I've been through. Oh, yeah, he does. That's why this is where we start with the gospel. He came. To Nazareth. And then scripture adds to this. Not only does he come to his own. Not only does he come to Nazareth. But he also came to Bethlehem. A town five, six miles south of Jerusalem. I'm told today that this is pretty much all highway now. Certainly wasn't in the time of Jesus. Fertile soil. Is located there. That's why the grain is produced there. That's why it's the house of bread, Bethlehem. 
The temple flocks are kept here because they're a far enough distance away to keep Jerusalem pure, but close enough for easy access for all of those temple sacrifices that are going to be needed. A well with very good water, we are told. In fact, there are still reservoirs there, the pools of Solomon. So we are told in the Old Testament. And this is where you see Luke 2 finds this young couple. Because of a decree of a Roman emperor who is calling everybody to go to their home base, Joseph has to leave Nazareth at a time in which Mary's pregnancy is quickly drawing to an end to go to Bethlehem. I'm sure on that journey, Joseph is thinking, there was another couple that made this journey once pregnant too. I'm not the first one to draw near to Bethlehem with a very pregnant wife. See, that was Jacob and Rachel. And as they near Bethlehem, Rachel begins to deliver her child. And a son is born, Joseph. Excuse me, a son is born, Benjamin. But Rachel dies. Sure, as Joseph's walking along, that thought of what, is this smart? What's going to happen here? This is the town that Ruth and Boaz lived in. This is the town of great heritage because it's also a royal town. Because it's the birthplace of David. This was David's home. This is the place in the hills around there where promises have been made to David, where psalms have been written in praise to God. This is the town that comes under the dynasty of David. He shall have a throne and it shall never depart from his family. And Joseph is part of that line of descendants and he has to be thinking, Where did this family go wrong? We're supposed to be royalty. And here I am. Poor carpenter. A pregnant, espoused wife. With a town full of gossips behind us. The possibility of death before us. This is where they come. But he knows nobody's expecting, nobody puts out a red carpet, nobody announces, no trumpets. Come into the village, can't even find a place to sleep. 
worshipped by angels. Adored by the heavenly beings. And now can't even find a place to sleep. Oh, but this too is significant in prophecy, isn't it? Because this is what Micah said, Micah chapter 5, 2. This is what Herod and the Magi, or the, the Herod and the religious leaders look into and they uncover this prophecy. Oh yeah, it's in Bethlehem. It's not even on anybody's radar screen. Nobody's even thinking about this. It's not like Mary and Joseph come into town and somebody goes, Oh, I'll bet this is the Messiah. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He emptied himself of all that. But you see, the reason there is no place, the reason the city is filled, is because it's about the lambs. This is where Jesus needs to be born. This is where the Son of God needs to enter into the world. Yes, in a place called Bethlehem, but in a stable, in the birthing center of the lambs met for slaughter, wrapped in the claws that normally the young lambs are wrapped in to protect them, to, pre to prevent any bruises, because a bruised lamb, you see, cannot be used for temple sacrifice. God wraps the child. In swaddling bands to remind us, yes, this is the one. This is the wonderful counselor. This is the everlasting father. This is the prince of peace. This is mighty God. There he is. The Lamb of God. Who will take away the sin of the world. He came, Mark said, to give his life as a ransom for many. Are you part of that many? Oh, I believe you are. I believe most of you are. And what I've told you this morning is probably not new. Probably something you haven't thought or heard somewhere down the line. But the prayer is, that it rekindles within you praise. Because that's what the Christ deserves. And God's people say, 